ladies, this is Jessica Iterole. And I'm Barbara Saunders Livingston. And we want to welcome you to the Seeking Holy Podcast. A podcast for women seeking Christ in a challenging world. As you listen, we hope you'll be encouraged to open God's Word, to seek Him, and strengthen your abiding relationship with Christ. Whether you find yourself with plenty of time or not enough time, pour yourself a cup of coffee, grab your Bible, and join us for Seeking Holy. Hi, ladies, and welcome to part two of us giving some examples of courageous people in the Bible. We could spend episode after episode listing them, but we have just prayerfully selected a few, and and we're going to get right into it. So one of the stories that came to mind when we were talking about courage and we were discussing the idea of pulling examples and, oh, we can only pull a few for time's sake, I just so happened to think of King Jehoshaphat, and I believe that's listed in Second Kings and Second Chronicles 20, which Second Chronicles 20 is what I'll be reading from. And I'll probably paraphrase most of it just for the sake of time. But I do encourage you to go and look this up. Second Chronicles 20, start at verse one and read through. It's a very interesting narrative. So we look at King Jehoshaphat. He's the king of Judah, and um, he has some enemies. Imagine that, Israel and enemies. So there are three different um, camps, so to speak, or three different armies. And um, I'll just start at verse 20. It says, after this, the Moabites and the Ammonites, and with them some of the Minuites, uh, came against Jehoshaphat for battle. And then some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude is coming against you from Edom. So basically, we see that these three armies, they've gotten together, they're talking, and they are coming for Judah. And of course, Jehoshaphat was afraid. And I feel like that is like the biggest understatement ever. But (laughs) he was very afraid. And what did he do? And then in verse 3, we see, that Jehoshaphat was afraid, but he set his face to seek the Lord. And he proclaimed a fast throughout all of Judah. And they assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. That is said more than once. So he stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. And he said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? Listen to how he just repeats what he knows about his Lord. He says, you rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And they have lived in it and have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, If disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you. For your name is in this house and cry out to you in our affliction and you will hear and save. 
And I just love that, that he is speaking what he knows, because we've been speaking throughout all of this at looking at courage, that it starts with what we know about mm. our Lord and who he is and, yes. and what he is capable of, which is everything. There is nothing that is too difficult for him. And us as his children, we can come to him. And then in verse 10, I just love this posture that um, although we know when we pray and we ask for things that the Lord already knows the situation, he already knows what's going on. But I just love this conversational dialogue here in just telling the Lord what's happening. Because yes, as we revere him as the Lord, our God, he is also very personal to us. And in verse 10, it says, and now behold, the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt and whom they avoided and did not destroy. Behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. Oh, our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. And we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Amen. And that, that's the thing there. There is this overwhelming um, situation. This To call it a problem just does not do it justice. And, and he he prays to the Lord, acknowledging who he is. He presents the problem. He, he's speaking to the Lord, telling him what's happening. And then reiterating again, God's greatness. God is perfectly righteous and he is just and proclaiming that we are powerless, but our eyes are on you. We trust you. And so what happens? And I'm going to try to condense this down. Again, I really encourage you to read this for yourself and enjoy it. He says, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm. Hold your position and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah mm. and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them and the Lord will be with you. Oh, mm. aren't those comforting words? The mm. Lord will be with you. In him we can place our trust. And it's that idea of going ahead, even though they must have been terrified that they knew who their Lord was. They heard from him even, and they were going to advance forward in faith. And of course, Jehoshaphat, he bowed his head and his face to the ground, and all of them fell before the Lord, worshiping him. That was enough for them. They knew what they needed to do. And of course, it goes on to say that they rose early in the morning, and they set to go, go down, and King Jehoshaphat, stands before them and he says, hear me, Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, believe in the Lord your God and you will be established. Believe his prophets and you will succeed. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire as they went before the army mm -hmm. and say, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. Now, just a side thought. 
if you were one of those singers and you were told to go ahead of the army, (laughs) that would take some courage. That would take some real courage and focus, just faith on the Lord. Are you sure you want to go? You want to go ask them again and just make sure (laughs) the order is, I'm just saying, you know, okay. But anyway, so um, perhaps, you know, the story and when they went and they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who had come against Judah so that they were routed and the men rose against one another all the way to they destroyed one another. So they began to just fight and destroy one another and wipe each other out. Verse At verse 24, it says, when Judah came to the watchtower of the wilderness, so to look out and see what's ahead, they looked toward the horde and behold, there were dead bodies lying on the ground. None had escaped. And of course, it goes on to say that they, they uh, carried the spoil and they, they worshiped the Lord and and uh, just praise God. So you have this situation of once again being terrified and just trusting in the Lord. And look how he blessed them. He delivered them. He did exactly as he said he would do. And that is our God. He will do exactly as he says he will do. We only need to consult him, to seek him, to, to trust him and act on that. More coming up right after this. If everyone is called to make and multiply disciples, everyone should be trained. Hi, my name is Mark Gearing, and you can find us at Multiplying Disciples on YouTube. And we put together some of the best tools we could find to help anybody get started in making disciples and help their disciples make disciples. So we would love to help you get started to reach those right around you and help you train them to multiply and reach the nations. In doing some study for just the other things that that the Lord has me working on, as you all know, I've been doing a lot of research regarding persecuted Christians and formerly persecuted Christians in their stories, a name that many are familiar with, especially who read in the space is the late Richard Wormbrand and his wife, Sabina. Yes. So quite some time ago, I purchased the book, The Pastor's Wife, written by the late Sabina Wormbrand. And just a quick backstory, he was a minister in communist Romania during and after World War II, and he is most especially known for the 14 years in total that he spent in prison for his faith, and then eventually... You'll have to read about his story. But eventually, when he received asylum in the U.S., he went on to form the ministry, Jesus to the Communist World, which became Voice of the Martyrs. I'm just going to read one short excerpt from one page of the book. It says, They pushed him aside and shoved their way into the bedroom. I was sharing it with a woman guest, a dear sister in the faith, and we sat up in bed, clutching the blankets around us. Sabina Wormbrand shouted a bull-necked man in charge, who never stopped shouting as long as he was in the flat. We know you're hiding arms here. Show us where they are, now. Before I could argue, they were pulling out trunks, opening cupboards, emptying drawers on the floor. A shelf of books crashed down. My friend sprang from the bed to retrieve them. Never mind that. Get your clothes on. We had to dress in front of six men as they trampled over our things. From time to time, they shouted out as if to encourage each other to keep up the meaningless search. 
So you won't tell us where the arms are hidden. We'll tear this place apart. I said, the only weapon we have in this house is here. And I picked up the Bible from under their feet. Bullneck roared, you're coming with us to make a full statement about those arms. I laid the Bible on the table and said, please allow us a few moments to pray. Then I'll go with you. You know, earlier we talked about having a gentle and quiet spirit. To me, that just embodies everything of being courageous and exhibiting a gentle and quiet spirit. The peace to be able to react that way. The peace to make that statement, to pick up that Bible from under their dirty feet and to make that statement. That is courage. That is a love for our Lord. That is an understanding of who He is and our eyes on eternity, our eyes on Jesus and having reverence and love for Him and and for His people to connect to even that soldier in that moment. It wasn't just a statement about the Bible and our holy God. It was a statement to cut through the hard heart of that soldier. And it is accounts like that that I'm confronted. Just in that moment, what would I have done? To me, there's so much courage in that. She didn't get angry or yell or even defend herself. And in this case, and I think in several cases, there is this idea of preparing for that moment. I wonder how much, before those policemen showed up, at Sabina's door, how much had she prepared and and prayed about and contemplated uh, what she would do and the concern for the souls, the eternal outcome of those that would confront her on the doorstep and perhaps even in prison. And I've seen this theme with a lot of persecuted Christians who are in countries where they are arrested for being followers of Christ, that there is a focus on the eternal livelihood of their oppressors. And I wonder if there's something in there for us all to take away, for me to take away from that. And not that we're necessarily preparing for that, but just to have that idea of, let's say, the person who checks out our groceries or the, the homeless person that we want to help, we want to give a food to, but and that's great because they'll eat for that moment. But what about their eternal life and, and what's ahead? And it's just those things that when I think of courage, this is another area. And, and it doesn't have to be a big thing for us to need to be courageous about. And so I'm speaking to extremes here. But in looking at this, it really magnifies and puts a spotlight on my, I would say my courage in the moment, but really what it is, is do we trust the Lord enough that no matter how much we're squeezed, that we will seek God's plan in it, that we will seek him, but also Seek him for what he wants us to do with it. With everything's an opportunity. Prison is an opportunity. You know, in, in this case, with Sabina following prison. And if I remember correctly, Barbara, you just so happen 
like within a, a week, a little more than a week ago, I think, to get something that told the story of Sabina Wordbrand after I shared this with you. And that was so ironic. And I think it was something about her um, once she was in prison. Am I correct? Yes, it was an amazing article, you know, just to to tag on to, to your train of thought there, you know, we can look back through history, not just in the Bible, we have plenty of accounts there, but, um, you know, women like Joan of Arc or Susanna Wesley, you know, mm-hmm. um, I mentioned Hannah Moore, what about Corey Ten Boom, you know, mm-hmm. and Rosa, Rosa Parks or Mother Teresa, I mean, there's just lots yeah. of women and it's a wide variety of things that they did that we considered, like you said, to be courageous. But yeah, so Mm. Sabina Wormbrand just read that article after you talked about it last week. And as you said, she's the wife of Richard Wormbrand. And so she was imprisoned, uh, the article said, for three years in uh, communist Romania. And so she tells of the story uh, while there, uh, when the non-Christians, while she was in prison, uh, the, the, the ladies that were not Christians, they would open their eyes in the morning and realize where they were. And they would start cursing and swearing and, uh, cursing the prison and their life and their mothers. And the cursing at the beginning of the day was, she said, worse than all the torture and the beatings and the hunger. And it was mm-hmm. like, she said, being in hell, mm-hmm. you know, all the, just the cursing itself. Um, and so she formed this little group um, and they, they asked the Lord together because of all this, uh, how can we stand this? You know, we're in hell. What should we do? And a young Christian girl said, you know, we have a program for all the Christians wherever they are called Psalm 107. And it starts out this in Psalm 107, oh, give thanks to the Lord. For his mercy endures forever. Do you know how it continues? It says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Mm. And so they decided early in the morning when they opened their eyes and as they were preparing to go to the work camps that um, whoever they saw, that this would be their, uh, their first thing that they would say to them. They'd say, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. And his mercy endures forever. And it goes on to say that she could not describe in words the difference this new uh, greeting made in the prison cell. Uh, they changed the hell they were living in completely mm. by something as simple yet profound and powerful as the word of God. And so by giving thanks to the Lord, even in the most difficult circumstances, you know, it can, can transform the entire environment. Sometimes it is like we're in hell. feels like it. We suffer. We forget who we are. But we're not like the others. Because when he bought us, we bear his name and we belong to him. All the redeemed ones are his. And so let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Another woman... Mm -hmm. I have given a lot of thought to as we were thinking about this episode. Um, and as I consider courage um, is Esther. I mean, the entire book is named after her, right? Uh, the most well-known statement associated with Esther and, you know, which has actually been assigned graciously by others to our podcast is, you know, for such a time as this. 
Mm -hmm. So just consider the courage Esther had to have had when she went before the king unsummoned. You know, and this was after the same king had the former queen, Vashti, killed for disobedience to the royal summoning protocol. It says in Esther 4.11, all the royal officials and the people of the royal provinces know that one law applies to every man or woman who approaches the king in the inner courtyard and who has not been summoned the death penalty. Only if the king extends the gold scepter will that person live. So considering all that Esther went through, you know, to prepare to go before the king, um, all those beauty treatments and all you can read about that in Esther. Um, but it's such a testimony of courage and the bigger picture, right? So see, God doesn't just save us and clean us up and beautify us as women and make us um, an heir, prepare us, provide for us and bless us so that we can only enjoy the kingdom of God for ourselves or so we can look strong and tough and put together. The saving and sanctifying work he performs in us is for us to cooperate with his Holy Spirit and serve, you know, to be an advocate for the least and the last and the lost and the lonely, to become an ambassador for the gospel and assimilate ministry for others and to build the kingdom of God. And so further context provides this clear picture in Esther 4, 13 through 14. Mordecai, her uncle, told the messenger to reply to Esther, don't think that you will escape the fate of all the Jews because you are in the king's palace. If you keep silent at this time, liberation and deliverance will come to the Jewish people from another place, but you and your father's house will be destroyed. Who knows, perhaps you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. And so God instills his strength and his courage within us so we can be a blessing and intervene for and he, uh, be a healing agent to others. You know, he wants to save lives. You know, I thought it was extremely interesting, the timing while preparing for this episode today, um, that my husband uh, brought me a letter from the mailbox from a gentleman. And in light of the subject matter um, and in closing, and as an encouragement to all the ladies listening, I would like to share the first couple of lines from, well, it was an 11-page message, um, as I know and understand beyond a shadow of a doubt that this is for all of us, okay, you and me. And it goes like this. There is just so much I have learned as a man from women and how much we need you, how much the church needs you how much our families need you, and how much mankind needs you. There are so many ladies that need to be so deeply thanked for their love for God and for people, for families, for our Heavenly Father's church and His works. Thank you for what you do to serve and help others. It is hard to imagine that you could possibly know how valuable you really are. You just have a special gift and a special way of communicating and supporting and encouraging others. It is so refreshing if you can ever listen when ladies are talking about the Bible and being filled with the Spirit, the attitude and the love that is there when the Holy Spirit is being discussed, to see and feel the amazing energy. Women are so much a part of God's leaders and God's servants and God's church. 
and God's work needs you desperately. I hope you will be encouraged and maybe learn something a little new or maybe even a little deeper than you understood before about your purpose and your value. And that was coming from a gentleman. I would just close by saying, you know, we all have a mission. We thank you for joining us for this episode. Be with us tomorrow when we discuss private courage, what no one sees but God. If you've enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe so you can be notified when new episodes are released. Also, please feel free to rate and review our podcast and share it with all your friends. Thank you for spending your time with us. We hope you're leaving with a deepening fascination to fellowship with the one who has created you for his purpose and desires to show you more of his goodness every day.